Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. If you're interested in getting some merch, visit my YouTube channel, or you can donate directly via Venmo or PayPal following the links in the description. You can submit case suggestions to southerngirlcrimestories at gmail.com or DM me on social media. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. Nicole Fitz was described as a social, naive, down-to-earth person who never met a stranger. At some point, she had a daughter named Cindy who would ultimately live with her father. Meanwhile, Nicole moved to Pacifica, California into an apartment with her sister and another woman. But once they could no longer afford it, they moved out and Nicole was briefly homeless and pregnant. She began staying at a homeless shelter and sometimes would stay with her sister Contessa. She eventually gave birth to Ariana Fitz on September 6, 2013. Ariana's father and Nicole had briefly dated, and he did not want to be involved with his child. Soon after, a woman named Lemasani Briggs befriended Nicole and offered to let her and Adriana live with her in Daly City. Lemasani claimed to be a street pastor or self-proclaimed evangelist, and Nicole would help her pass out food to those in need. Once Ariana was two years old, Nicole was still a single mom working long hours at Best Buy to provide for Ariana. While she was at work, two-year-old Ariana was in the care of Limassani. As soon as Nicole started working at her Best Buy job, Limassani began charging her rent and high prices for babysitting. She also became very controlling over Nicole and Ariana. Limassani would also involve herself in Nicole's private matters when Nicole had never even discussed issues with her. It is said that Limassani must have been going through Nicole's virtual diary on her laptop. At some point, Nicole voiced concerns and started talking about removing Ariana from the care of Limassani. She wasn't happy and in turn raised Nicole's rent by hundreds of dollars. That's when Nicole decided it was time to leave and moved her and Ariana into her sister's Tess and Contessa's home in Santa Cruz. Meanwhile, police had to be called because Lemassani had refused to give her Ariana's car seat. She eventually agreed, but she wouldn't turn over their other belongings. In desperate need of affordable childcare, Nicole enlisted Lemassani's two nieces, Ciola Hearn and Helena Martin, to take over the role of babysitting Ariana at their home in Oakland. Ariana began spending most of her time in the care of Lemassani's nieces because Nicole frequently worked late nights and early mornings, so it was easier for Ariana to spend the nights at their house. At some point, the babysitters repeatedly gave Nicole excuses as to why she couldn't get Ariana. They made excuses such as they were out of town or on vacation. Finally, Nicole was able to move in with her coworker and friend and be much closer to work. On April 5, 2016, family members of Nicole and Ariana notified San Francisco police that they were missing. 
Nicole was last seen four days earlier on April 1st when she woke her roommate up and told her she was going to meet someone but never returned. Who she was meeting is still unknown, but it's believed she was meeting the babysitters. Nonetheless, police believe she traveled from her employment at Best Buy in San Francisco via the 3rd Street Metro line at around 9.45 that same night. Soon after, someone pretending to be Nicole left a voice message with her roommate stating that she was with someone named Sam heading to Fresno. There was also a Facebook post on Nicole's page of someone apparently pretending to be her stating that she was with her three-year-old daughter and needed a break. This was likely a ruse to throw off any suspicions, but it immediately raised a red flag because Ariana was two and a half, not three. Also, the person misspelled the word break, and Nicole was known to always spell correctly and use proper grammar. Little Ariana had not actually been seen by loved ones since weeks earlier in late February. A week after Nicole was last seen, a gardener in the John McLaren Park in San Francisco saw a large piece of wood resting behind a clump of bushes with an odd silver character painted on it. Underneath the wood, Nicole's body was discovered in a fetal position in a shallow grave. After her body was discovered, police focused their attention on the individuals who had been babysitting Ariana. A colleague of Nicole said he had recently seen her crying in the hallway at work and that she was going through a hard time before she was killed. Her death was quickly ruled a homicide, though no details of particular injuries or the exact cause of death have been released. Search warrants were soon executed for the homes of Ciela and Helena, though there was no clue of Ariana's whereabouts, and police say the sisters were uncooperative. During the inquiry, it came to light that Helena had recently served six years in jail after murdering the father of her kid when she was just 18 years old. Helena Martin and her spouse Devin, along with Ciola Hearn, have been named as persons of interest in the case. It is believed that they wanted to raise Ariana as their own and possibly murdered Nicole because of this. They up and moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, but law enforcement has never been able to determine whether or not Ariana is still alive. In April 2021, an age progression was created of what Ariana may look like at the age of seven, and a billboard was strategically placed in Nevada where they believe she could be. In 2017, the San Francisco Police Department reported that they seized and scoured a vehicle thought to be associated with the case. Beyond that, there have been very few updates to the case in the past few years, other than Limassani passing away in December of 2021. The family created a website to highlight the search and offered a $10,000 reward to anyone with information that may help them locate Ariana and her safe return. Best Buy also offered a $10,000 reward, and in 2021, police raised the reward for information about Ariana to $100,000. In 2022, San Francisco and the FBI announced the increase of the reward for leads to $250,000. No one has been arrested for Nicole's murder, and today, Ariana would be nearly nine years old, but she has never been located and as of June 2022, this case remains unsolved. I've always been a super driven person, and I think I've always seen um, a, a lot of that, like, you can do better, like, you need to do better, come on, um, being really hard on yourself. People have always told me that one of, like, my biggest um, weaknesses that I never saw as a weakness was that I was so hard on myself.
Mm. And while I do think that is helpful and I think that is kind of part of who I am, letting that kind of take a step back in certain situations and letting self-compassion and, um, you know, in something, if I do bad on a test, instead of saying to myself, oh my God, come on, like you, you need to buckle down, you need to grind, you need to, you know, really go ham at it and just do better. It's like, it's not accepting that, it's not necessarily accepting failure, but it's ne- it's accepting how you feel in that moment. Mm. And, you know, recognizing that, hey, like, that didn't feel good and, and that's okay. Sydney Caitlin West was born July 11, 2001, to parents Kimberly and Jay West. She grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area of California and attended Foothill High School in Pleasanton, California. That was until her family moved to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and she would spend her junior and senior year at Carborough High School, where she would graduate in 2019. She loved music, her little sister Faith, and was co-captain on her high school's volleyball team. After graduating, she took a year off from school before being accepted to UC Berkeley, her dream college. Preparing for her first year of classes in 2020, she moved into the dorms and was anxious being away from home for the first time, which was nearly 3,000 miles from her family. Not only was she having to deal with the stresses of being a freshman in college, but she also found it difficult to cope with the isolation caused from the COVID-19 pandemic. When the campus closed due to the pandemic, she found online learning difficult and suddenly decided to withdraw and defer classes until the fall 2021. At the time, she was 19 years old and moved out of the dorms and into the Bay Area with roommates. She had been battling anxiety and depression that worsened during the effects of the pandemic. On the morning of September 30, 2020, she took a ride share to the Chrissy Field area near the Golden Gate Bridge. She always loved the bridge and was seen briefly on the bridge's video surveillance at 6.45 a.m. that morning, among many other visitors nearby. But the fog obscured where she went and what she did on the bridge. This was the last time Sydney was seen before she suddenly vanished. She always kept in frequent contact with her parents, who were supposed to hear from her that day, but the call never came. After going missing, her backpack with some of her belongings was found in an area on the Golden Gate Bridge that she liked to visit. But her phone and her Bose headphones were not found with her backpack and have never been recovered. Was Sydney one of nearly 2,000 people that have jumped off the bridge since its opening in 1937, or did Sydney meet with foul play? Her parents, little sister, and all her loved ones remained devastated, not knowing where Sydney could be, leaving a hole that only she can feel, and as of June 2022, this case remains unsolved. Pearl Jean Frances Pinson was born December 15, 2000, and lived in Vallejo, California. She was a student at Jesse Bethel High School and enjoyed skateboarding and the beach and was described as a sweet and funny girl. On May 25, 2016, at the age of only 15, she was innocently walking to the school bus stop shortly before 7 a.m. The path to the school bus took her across the pedestrian walkway over Interstate 780 near Taylor Avenue in Vallejo. Several witnesses would say they saw her arguing with an unknown Hispanic man as she was crossing the walk. They said the man then quickly pulled out a gun and began dragging her across the walkway toward his car. 
Witnesses said that her face was bloody and she was screaming for help as he forced her into his trunk. One witness said she then heard a gunshot before calling 911. Several other witnesses traveling on the interstate below the bridge witnessed the incident as well and also called 911. When the authorities arrived, they found blood on the concrete along with Pearl's cell phone on the overpass, but Pearl was nowhere to be found. Witnesses were able to give a description of his car, and along with traffic cameras, they were able to identify the abductor as 19-year-old Fernando Castro. He had a minor criminal history, and his family was reportedly blindsided when they found out what he had done. However, due to conflicts in eyewitness statements, an Amber Alert couldn't be issued for nearly 32 hours, by which time Pearl had completely vanished into thin air. The following afternoon, Castro was sighted driving in Solvang, California, 30 minutes after the Amber Alert went out on his car. Officers with the California Highway Patrol and the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office chased his vehicle into Santa Barbara County. He began driving the wrong way on the freeway before turning into a mobile home park and crashing his car. Authorities quickly sent out a reverse 911 call to the residents of the area to be on alert for him. Castro eventually entered a woman's mobile home and began shooting at police through a window as the woman thankfully escaped to safety. He then walked out and got into a truck and tried to flee. A shootout ensued between police and Castro, and he was killed, taking with him any information about why he abducted Pearl or where she could possibly be. Pearl wasn't with him at the time of the shootout, and she has never been heard from again. Castro was killed more than 300 miles south from where Pearl was taken. When police searched his car, they found a small amount of Pearl's blood and hair in the trunk. The amount of blood was not indicative of a gunshot wound and only enough from an injury such as a busted lip. Therefore, it's speculated that the gunshot heard during the abduction could have been a warning shot to get her to comply. They also found a note in his vehicle with directions to a coastal town called Jenner, which was more than 60 miles from the site of her abduction and about 10 miles from Bodega Bay. During the investigation of traffic cameras after the shootout, Castro was seen driving his gold 1997 Saturn in the area of Sir Francis Drake Boulevard near the San Rafael Bridge in Marin County, California, over two hours after the abduction. Investigators could find no connection between Pearl and Castro, despite conflicting reports stating that they were acquaintances or that he had a crush on her. But he had been witnessed walking around in her neighborhood at some point. He had also been a student at the same school she attended, and some speculated he could have been stalking her prior to her abduction. It's unknown if he targeted Pearl or if she was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Many speculate that during his travels, between her abduction and the shootout, that he could have dropped her off to someone for sex trafficking and she could still be alive. Many searches have been done for her, but unfortunately, her and her black and green Joker backpack have not been found. Police are asking anyone that knew Castro to give any details about his life and locations that he frequented so that a search can be done and a reward is being offered for information. Her sister Rose continues to be a huge advocate for finding her beloved sister and keeping her story out there, but as of June 2022, this case remains unsolved. There is little information available in this case, but I wanted to include it in this video. 
His loved ones really want the word out about their missing father, husband, and brother. Timothy Cazito is a Ugandan-American father of four. He is also the former director of the popular Ugandan drama group The Ebony's. He also became a steel motion picture director, producer, and the proprietor of Bantu Productions based in the U.S. He is the brain behind the production of the Ebony's Bibiwo TV series, among others. On December 17, 2021, he flew to Los Angeles, California to meet a friend but allegedly never arrived to the meeting. On December 19th, he spoke to his family and was supposed to return home, but for reasons unknown, he never boarded the plane at the LAX airport in Los Angeles. He hasn't been heard from since that day, and his family members are devastated and fear he was kidnapped and murdered. There is a petition at change.org that needs several more signatures to have his case picked up by local news, and I will link the site in the description. Authorities also believe that Mr. Cazito may have been kidnapped, and as of June 2022, he remains missing and this case remains unsolved. Lori Estine was born to parents Gerald and Deborah Estine. At the age of 26, she was a rapper in the group called Sweet and Low, alongside her grade school best friend, Georgette Franklin. Lori was known as Low, and Georgette went by the nickname Sweet, hence the name Sweet and Low. The R&B duo had worked together for two years and were signed by Third Stone Records, a label found by actor Michael Douglas, and their first and only album, released in 1993, was titled Pucker Up. Lori was described as sweet and always having a kind word and looked on the bright side of everything. Georgette was later involved in songwriting, including writing Jennifer Lopez's 2001 hit song, Love Don't Cost a Thing. In 1996, Lori lived in Los Angeles, California, in the 2200 block of West 29th Place, known as the Jefferson Park area. On January 25, 1996, friends of Lori's were concerned when they saw vehicles at the home, but no one was answering the door. One of them looked in a back window and saw a man's body. That's when Lori and her boyfriend Thomas Blinko and friend Diana Davis were all found shot to death in Lori's home. None of them were known to be involved in drugs or involved in any high-risk activities, and so immediately their murders made no sense. Police said no doors or windows in the home had been forcibly opened, but it had been ransacked, although it's unclear whether any items had been stolen. 23-year-old Thomas Blinko was described as a clean-cut, devoted musician. He was also a rap artist known as Tommy Gunn and had been getting ready to sign a deal with Def Jam Records. 33-year-old Diana Davis was a single mother of two girls and lived a few blocks from Lori and was an assistant manager at a restaurant in the San Fernando Valley at the time. A neighbor of Lori's recalled hearing three loud bangs about 7 a.m. that morning. However, their bodies weren't discovered until about 10.30 that night. It's unknown what the motive for the triple homicide was or who is responsible, and as of today, this case remains unsolved. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.